Hi, I'm Lizzie Heiselt. And I'm Valerie Best. This is Cocoon, Stories of Gestation. This is where we talk about the path to parenthood, how it's rarely straightforward, how there are unexpected twists and turns, and how sometimes you get thrown off the path entirely. Today we have the story of a couple who are there right now. They have, in their own words, derailed. We're going to find out how they got there and what comes next. Okay, so I'm Grace Polson. Uh, my name's Dave Polson. Um, we live in the Bronx, um, in Riverdale, at the end of the one train. Um, we've lived all around New York, and we've been here um, in Riverdale for three years. Um, we have two little girls that are two and a half and four and a half, Alta and Rennie. I'm here doing my uh, last year of residency in ophthalmology at uh, Montefiore Medical Center, which is part of Albert Einstein College of Medicine. Yeah, so we've been, we've been sort of around here because I was in medical school here as well. Um, but we have also moved several times. We've been in Brooklyn, we've been in Boston, we've been in California, we've been back here. So we've jumped around a lot, but um, but New York feels like home. Like we just but like, we is... go and then we come back and then we go and then we come back. So important point so far: Dave is a doctor. They have two young girls. They are finishing up the last year of Dave's residency. Moving on. So I'm just gonna pick a month at random. <laughs> Do you want to pick May, May? 2014? 2015. 20, well, actually, I want to talk about May 2014. <laughs> Take me back. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that was when I was pregnant with Rennie. Let's see. You want to talk about May 2014? Yeah. So you were sure. you were pregnant with your youngest. Yes. Yeah. That was a pretty epic time for us. We were trying to have a baby. You know. So they'd be two years apart, but we didn't. I didn't get pregnant for a little while, and so then I ended up getting pregnant with a baby that was going to be due the week that we moved from California to New York. And so Dave like finished residency like let's see, Rennie was born like the fourteenth, and Dave left with all of our stuff in a U-Haul like the twenty-first or something like that. Yeah, that drove was... across the country with his dad, and then I flew with my parents. No, I stayed for a few weeks in Fresno, and lived with his sister after I just had a baby. So that was pretty awesome. And then flew well, with my parents. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that. So um, when Alta was born, that was in Boston. It was like the most ideal, perfect birthing experience. I mean, it was Brigham and Women's, which is an amazing hospital. Everything went completely smoothly, healthy, everything was great. But with Rennie, when she was born, she was like, did not look healthy at all. Like, didn't look like a normal color, wasn't really crying. Um, and for someone like me, I mean, I've seen babies born many times, like in medical school, and I knew that it was like not a normal situation, so it was very scary. Um, and they had to like suction her, but she was very, long story short, she was essentially like septic um, because Grace had, unbeknownst to us, developed chorioamnionitis. But luckily she hadn't really started to affect Grace yet. Well, you should explain um, that comes from group B strep. You know how they always test yeah. for group B strep? Yeah. Right. So I was positive for it, but I didn't know that I was like leaking amniotic fluid. And so like the infection got into her and was like, 
she was like getting right. fed this infection. So I didn't like we didn't really re- realize, and I don't think Grace totally made the connection that her water had broke like several days. Before. And my midwife was like, "Am I like terrible?" Yeah, the yeah. care wasn't as as great as it could have been. But anyways, um, so. Rennie had to be on IV antibiotics. Like, she got swept up to the NICU immediately, was put on IV antibiotics, and by... And she was, like, on oxygen and all that. But by the next day, she was, like... She was fine, Totally fine. Super scary, Um, though. But she was very sick, and it was very, like, you know, scary experience. But then she had to stay in the NICU for seven days for the full course of antibiotics. And um, then you were like, gotta go. We like, <laughs> While I was like packing the apartment so. and then visiting her in the NICU and Dave was like an intern. I mean, it was just like, and we had Alta. It was like, <laughs> so crazy. Like, how yeah, do we get so through these crazy. times in life? I don't know. Just never a dull moment. Our and poor family. So we're going to pull a bit of a bait and switch here because while May 2014 was an epic time for their family, it actually was 2015 that we came to talk about. Right about the time, little Rennie turned one and was no longer breastfeeding. And then, dun, 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 I found a lump, and we just thought it was nothing. Um, we just kind of let it go, and then I just kept feeling like a pull to go to like an OBGYN and have it checked out. And so, did that, and um, she thought it was nothing too. And but luckily, she sent me to have like an MRI done, and it was like very obvious that it was like way more than nothing it was the lump and then there was like precancerous like when you look at the mri it was like a white circle and then like white dots like everywhere so you could see it was like spreading so yeah so like i called dave and he came over and we kind of like scrambled just trying to like figure out what we needed to do next like doctors and stuff and here's where the story really begins if things had seemed crazy when Brinny was born, it was merely prologued what was going to happen in the next year of their life. So, they're sitting in the room with the radiologist. Yeah, I mean, she's just, like, looking at it, and I can just, like, see her face. And she was just, like, she was so painful, though, because she wouldn't tell me. You know, they, like, won't tell you. And she's just like, no, it's very worrisome. Like, I, you know, I see a lot of things, and I'm, like, really worried. Or, like, she's, or, like, yeah, she was saying something like that. Like, I'm really was that worried. was that was breast radiologist. That was the, the first one, yeah. Because there were it, two. Like I came there the same day. Yeah, <coughs> and they had had somebody else. And there was a different, um, uh, like, radiologist who specializes in breast cancer, and she was very nice. I thought very good, and it's interesting to see. Like, I, that's not even a profession that you think about as much within radiology, but they're essentially on the front lines of this sort of a diagnosis because they're the ones that will usually make that diagnosis and then sort of I mean she definitely influenced the trajectory of where Grace went from there in terms of yeah she her, connected us with her the breast surgeon. surgeon and then oncologist like it's just interesting to see how that played out yeah, the chain that she started. And she was, like, very... We kept pushing her, but, like, she's like, well, we don't know until tomorrow, like, but, you know, but what do you think? And I still remember, like, what she said. She said, like, frankly, I think it's cancer. She's like, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I pushed, Thank you for just telling us, like... I pushed her pretty like, hard because, like, I sort of know how it feels to be in that position, and, mm-hmm. like, I know that they have an opinion, and so just... Just tell I, us. I can take that opinion. So the radiologist connected them with the surgeon, and Grace went in for surgery three weeks after the MRI. 
That's when they were able to stage the cancer and give a prognosis. During those three weeks, Grace had genetic testing done to see if she tested positive for the BRCA2 genetic mutation, which would determine whether or not she would have to have a double mastectomy or not. If she was negative, she could leave the unaffected breast. If she was positive, she would have them both taken out because it would be much more likely she would get cancer in the other breast. You see like pictures of women that are breastfeeding on like one side. There was like this one I, I saw where she had like no hair because she'd been going through chemo, but she's like nursing on one side and then had the other side like taken out. So you wonder like, should I keep it to be able to like nurse? The geneticist was like, I hadn't had my BRCA testing back yet, so we didn't really know if I was BRCA positive, and she was just like, well, why would you take out both, you know? Like, you don't know, and it was such a stressful, like, appointment I was not ready for. Like, nobody told me that I was gonna have this uh, conflict with this doctor. You deal with so many different doctors with, with something opinions. like cancer that yeah. you have to be prepared for all kinds of different personalities and opinions. And she just really took her time to like say what she wanted to say. It's, it's hard. I mean, like we're pretty, I think we were pretty educated in terms of trying to like know what questions to ask and everything like that um, and how to navigate the system. But like you just wonder for other people like that don't have the same access or they don't have the same health literacy, like, it would be a total nightmare. It would be so hard, or you just would make such crazy decisions, I Especially guess. Especially, you're in such a vulnerable place, I mean. Yeah. So, what uh, decision did you ultimately make? So, I did end up deciding to do the double mastectomy, which was the right choice, because then the BRCA testing came back, and it's like, with having it so young, like, the chance of getting on the other side is, like, so high. It's different if you're, like, 60, and diagnosed. It's like, you know, you may get it at 90 or you may never, you'll die before you get it. But with being so young, the chance of you getting on their side is like really high. Grace was 28 when she was diagnosed. So yeah, so I had double mastectomy. They just like took everything out and she said like, they scooped out like all the lymph nodes, everything. I don't know. Anyway, it's gross. Grace's cancer was stage 2B because she had a tumor and some cancerous lymph nodes, but it hadn't metastasized yet. The tumor and the nodes, as well as all of Grace's breast tissue, were removed in the surgery, and then just before Grace was going to start chemo, they realized they had another big decision and another big ordeal to go through. Chemo could ruin Grace's ovaries and prevent her from having any more kids, so if she even wanted to consider having another baby, she had to have some eggs harvested, and she had to do it right then. Before I started chemo, they were like, well, maybe you want to like freeze some eggs or embryos in case, because chemo can totally destroy your eggs and you can never get pregnant again. But my oncologist wanted me to start like very soon. So it's kind of like this battle of like getting in to see like a fertility person and then starting chemo. So we got into the fertility person and I like, I was supply too much information, but I was like on my period right at that time. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, well, you need to do it like tomorrow. And so they like, got all the fertility drugs and everything to start that process the next day. But it was, it was right before Thanksgiving and just coordinating all the drugs, I don't know, it was just amazing how it worked out. Like, I don't know how it all came together. Because we got... Well, it was ridiculous because, I mean, this stuff isn't covered by your insurance. And so... Yeah, like, like the They're drugs. giving you some... Like, I think they gave us some of them... Like somebody um, had donated some drugs that we got but then for free. Like, you're sp like a lot of them you can get through the Live Strong Foundation. Which but is, we couldn't yeah, get that so, no. because of Thanksgiving holiday. Like we couldn't send in our application for that. And we were like calling them and unsuccessfully. 
but we couldn't wait because if you delay it a month, chemo can't wait that long. I mean, I think for most people, it's like a big, a big uh, planned out thing, you know, like, okay, we're going to do IVF, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, we're going to do the whole egg retrieval process, et cetera, et cetera. But it just was like, like a spur of the moment decision. It's like, Mm -hmm. we didn't have any plan of how to pay for it. Didn't talk to anybody about hadn't talked about it together before we're just saying like just, saying yes because there's like what can we do yeah what else are we supposed to say i mean mm-hmm. we we never planned on like just having two kids and so now we're faced with this so why would we not do this we'll try it yeah i mean it was obvious that we should do it but there was just no like there's no actual build up to plan. it yeah <laughs> no right planning. it was just like you got to do it now yeah and, mm-hmm yeah, so we did so so we did the whole process. They like retrieved like I don't know like ten eggs or something, and and we ended up with like two embryos, which is pretty low number. But apparently that's happens <laughs> oftentimes with uh, patients with cancer. So yeah, they don't really know why. But mm-hmm. so I guess yeah. So we have those two embryos <laughs> sitting in storage right now, which we actually need to check on that we had like a year of free storage but i think now we're paying i have no idea how much it is like maybe it's 200 a month 100 a month i have no idea are you so, kidding me you can get like an eight by eight place in u-haul for <laughs> right? 200 a month so that is the cost of maintaining hope of having another baby well one of the costs we'll get to the others in a minute but first let's finish the treatments after the egg retrieval grace did six rounds of chemo She and Dave had friends or family come and stay with them through each round so Grace could check into a hotel and lie in bed while she went through the worst of the after effects. Her hair started coming out just before the second round of chemo, and Dave shaved her head in the living room of their apartment while their girls ran around playing. After Grace finished chemo, right around Easter 2016, she had 35 days of radiation therapy. And then, she was done. Well, not done. The cancer was gone. She's in remission, but her life still bears the marks of the cancer. There are still drugs to take, prescriptions to fill, insurance issues to work out. Her hair and body are different. She's still getting used to those changes. Recently, Grace's mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, and that has added another dimension to the Polson's decision about if and when to have another baby, because at some point, Grace will likely have to have her ovaries removed. But not right now. Right now... Yeah, I take um, hormone therapy, which sucks, but um, which basically just like blocks all the estrogen in my body. So I have like an injection that actually Dave does because he can, so I don't have to go into the office. Um, like a, every three weeks, get like a giant needle injection, and then I take like medication daily that just basically puts me in like menopause. So I have like hot flashes. Mm-hmm. Do you also stuff. have like an impulse to wear sort of like long blousey moos and <laughs> I do because they keep like airflow, right? <laughs> that would be so nice. Yeah, yeah. So like, that's the the main thing right now. Yeah, like every breast cancer tumor is different, and um, you know they've done so much work in breast cancer that they know a lot about like the intricacies of different types of breast cancer and Grace's type is like what they call hormone receptor positive. So it's like sensitive to hormones. In other words, like the hormones, like estrogen, progesterone, 
stimulate the tumor. And so um, the therapy is to basically like reduce that. Because if there's any residual tumor there, then you know you wouldn't want to like be feeding, encouraging, <laughs> encouraging it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They have like different studies, and the for a while there was this, like when Grace was first diagnosed, there was a study that was that showed that like for five years it showed it decreased mortality. So they recommended everybody take it for at least five years, but now that same study like reached ten years and also showed a benefit. So now they say like ten years, um, which is the worst. It's gonna say like fifteen years. Like it's just gonna keep going. But the the problem is, I mean, you can't, you know, if you're a young person and you want to have a family, like you can't, you know, get pregnant if you're taking hormone therapy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't that doesn't work. So so yeah. when you stop taking hormone therapy, you your like your period will start again. And that, that's the hope. We don't really know. Like that, you just kind of wait and see. Like I don't know. They they say you're supposed to wait for a year after chemotherapy to like flush all the drugs out of your system and then you go off of the hormone stuff my plan right now I think is like three years with the hormone therapy and then maybe stopping that and trying but I don't know trying to what trying to have another (laughs) another kid I guess this is one thing that is surprising to me not just in Grace and Dave's case but in so many people I've met Life throws them a curveball, one you think that would fundamentally change the way they view their life and their goals and set them on a completely different path. But still, here they are, thinking about getting back on the path they had originally intended to be on. Building a family with several children, cancer be damned. The fact that they already had two girls before the cancer is something they recognize as a huge blessing. And Grace even says that her life pre-cancer, having babies in her 20s, makes so much more sense now. And we're very lucky that we have two kids already. I mean, that's, like, what doctors would say to us, like, so many times. Like, you know, because they're like, how much more heartbreaking is it when we see people that come in that are not married and have no kids? And it's just like, sorry, you know? Mm-hmm. And so we've been really lucky. Yeah, I mean, we've been told that, like, millions of times. Like, oh, you're so lucky you guys have two healthy kids, blah, blah, blah. Do you feel but lucky? It, we feel very lucky, but it's so weird when you had an expectation of having more than two kids, then, yeah. you know, because you're like, oh, yeah, we are very lucky. But then you're like, but... You're still so like, allowed to want something. But, yeah. but that's not what we had planned. But, yeah, I mean, it, I'm grateful that we had kids when we did, you know, because certainly other people, you know, that I interact with at work every day that are my age and... And everything like very uncommon that they have any kids, maybe one, and so yeah, it's like nobody in his program except for one. So yeah, yeah so I'm I'm glad that we have yeah. two, so we're mm-hmm. happy. <laughs> yeah, it definitely it made my life make sense. My twenties make sense. I think I spent a lot of years we just like moved around with what Dave was doing, and I did a bunch of like random jobs, tried to go to fashion school, did all sorts of things. Which is kind of like clear to me. I was just supposed to have kids. Like I'm grateful for the different experiences that I had, you know, kind of keep me going and like entertained. But that was kind of like the main thing that was supposed to be happening then. So I'm like grateful for that feeling, you know, that that was 
Because I think when we decided to have kids, it wasn't like we really decided. We're just like, oh, I'm not really doing anything, so <laughs> might as well have kids. We don't have money or anything, but, you know. I think we probably put more thought into it than that. <laughs> but, like, you know. Well, I just think it's, like, kind of, like, funny how it's, like, we have no money or, like, no real plans. It's like, oh, yeah, well, I don't know. Yeah, it's not like we had some intricate plan. So, looking back, no plan turned out to be a good plan, at least for the Polsons, with the big question mark in their lives of whether or not the chemo affected Grace's ovaries, whether or not they'll be able to use the embryos they have frozen to have more children. They at least do have children. In three years, when Grace is planning to go off hormone therapy and see if she could get pregnant naturally again, she also opens herself up to a recurrence of cancer but she is adamant that with all of the ways cancer is still filtering its way into her life, she won't let the fear of cancer prevent her from living the life she wants to live. No, I just wanted to share an experience I had when I was gonna do this clinical trial after I finished everything. And um, it was the, these vaccinations I was supposed to do. It's like this whole deal. They ended up being like super painful because they didn't tell me how to prep for them. I was supposed to like coat my leg in like lidocaine Anyways, these vaccinations, they, like, were seriously the most painful thing I've ever felt. Like, I just was, just, like, crying, like, so much with the nurses. I was just so terrified. And I think you just feel like you need to do everything that they tell you to do so your cancer doesn't come back. And you just feel like if you don't do all the things that, like, you'll feel guilty later, you'll feel bad later. And I feel like I kind of learned that, like, you also need to not be af afraid to not do things. So I ended up quitting the clinical trial because I just, you know, like I was afraid of quitting it, but I just realized that like you can't live in fear like that. And I kind of feel that way with this ovaries decision. Like we just kind of have to make a choice and not live in fear that like the cancer is gonna come while we're making that choice. I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about how you managed to do that, about how you, I mean, you, um, about how you move forward with your life without being afraid. You know, I actually, I prayed, like, the day after, because I was just, like, I was supposed to go again. That was a trial run, the vaccination, to see if I was allergic to it, and I was supposed to go again the next day. And, um, yeah, I was just so terrified about it, and I just prayed, and I just asked Heavenly Father to please let me not be afraid of quitting, because I just, it just didn't feel right. And I think... There's so many choices and so many opportunities to do every surgery and every clinical trial and every specialist, everything, you know? But I think you have to like really use inspiration and I guess God to like help you decide what you really need to do. Cause I, I, I don't know, it just feels so overwhelming sometimes. I'll sit down and be like, okay, I need to like renew this prescription and this didn't go through with insurance and I need to go see the dermatologist and I need to do this. Like it just, you start to just feel like, oh, oh my gosh, it's like out of control. You know, how many things like we're supposed to do. And I've started to kind of be like, okay, like this can slide, this can slide. Like I'll get to this next week. Like I have to just keep going on with life. Grace has done so much exactly how you would want a patient to do things and has really tried hard. But then there are things, you're, it's with like something like cancer and a lot of other things. I mean, there's not like one thing like, oh, you have this, so now you get this treatment and that's it. It's like there's so many different 
as like you've probably seen from the things we're describing like there's so many, yeah, so many choices you can, you can make I mean you can make different choices about like what chemotherapy do you want if you wanted to do one like which one would you even do but at the end of the day your doctor's not a good doctor isn't going to make those decisions for you mm-hmm. so you have to make a lot of those decisions for yourself um but you also have to be smart about it. You know, I know when so like, awful. okay, I've reached the point where I'm now I'm like, maybe doing extra credit stuff that may or may not actually be helpful or mm-hmm. harmful to me. So, and like emotionally, it just starts to like kill you. Like, yeah, eat and, you alive. And like maybe doing have trying to have a kid after three years is not the recommended treatment plan for someone with. Grace's breast cancer but like if you talk to somebody that was like a really smart oncologist it would say honestly like for you maybe that is the right treatment plan because that's part of your life and that's part of mm-hmm. your goals in life and that's what you want to do and the risk is only this much versus this much so when you weigh that it actually makes sense logically as well in all this thinking and planning and wondering what was and is going to happen it still amazes me that this having more kids continues to come to the forefront. Because the timing of Grace's cancer was pretty bad. I remember the time in my life when I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old as possibly the hardest time of young parenthood, where every day I closed the door at bedtime and nearly collapsed in exhaustion and relief at having made it through another day. I wonder why it is that it is so difficult to let go of those hopes you have for your family, where even in the midst of a life-changing crisis, your impulse is to save some eggs so you can maybe have another baby in a few years. But now it's sort of like more kids would be nice, partly almost because it's like we just never planned on having just two. But at the same time, it might well be that having kids naturally is just not an option in the future. And then we'll either have to explore other options or just do something else. I don't know. Well, it's such a weird time to make the choice. Here we are. Dave's like a resident, not home that much. We don't have much money. It's just been like really stressful. New York living is just, it's really killing me. It's like slow, painful, slow, painful death. Barely trying to like make it to the finish line here, you know, and to think about like, like I cannot imagine having another kid right now. When I hold people's babies, I'm like, oh, love this baby I do not want this baby like I just can't do anything else I can't imagine being pregnant again I can't imagine like that whole thing it just sounds exhausting to me and so it sounds exhausting to me to have we just yeah another kid right now too (laughs) so So I think like I don't know if that would be different if we didn't have this whole cancer thing yeah I know that's the thing maybe like without the cancer and the so I'm just like if I think we can better make the choice when we're in California we've like settled down a little bit we have like a house our girls can like run free in the yard and stop like driving us crazy inside we'll be by family there's like so many things that are gonna like fall into place for us a little bit and I think then we can be like okay like do we want to have another kid let's Mm -hmm. like make this choice so Mm -hmm. I'm grateful we have some more time because I think this this like time in life is at least for us, I felt like it's just mainly probably from the moment we had our first kid. It just feels like you're really pushing the border between like your life is in control and it's like out of control a little bit with like all the stuff you're managing and trying to keep up with and keep on track with. 
And so I think we were sort of at that threshold, you know, like probably most people are mm-hmm. in our situation. Um, and then, and then the whole thing with Grace, it was just like, okay, yeah, yeah, this is we're like you're over, we the, have, you're over the cliff. We have derailed, and like for my residency, it was sort of like I'm gonna like try to study and like do the best that I can, but I'm like, Can't, I mean, people, yeah. people when they have stuff like this happen, they like take years off, but like we, you know, didn't think that that was gonna be the best thing for us, so I tried to like do what I needed to do so like since then it's been sort of sort of out of control but I think things for us have been a little more in control lately I think what Grace sounds like she's like alluding to is like maybe then we'll be back in that good range it reminds me of that story you guys told about May 2014 where you're like I don't know how we did that like I wonder if you know when you're five years from now when we do our follow-up podcast with you if you'll think you'll if you will wonder, how did we do this? I already wonder how we got through chemo, like, with, like how that went down. I already, like, wonder about like, when I did the implant thing and tore my incision. I couldn't lift up Rinny from, like, the beginning of October until, like, mid-December. And so I was, like, dragging her back and forth out to the car, walking around. I couldn't lift her from the crib. It was just, like so hard you know you're like how do I do these things and I definitely had a lot of breakdowns about it so it wasn't like it was smooth sailing or anything I don't know I I hope that we don't forget this time because it drives me crazy when you talk to people that were in residency or med school and like oh yeah that was a hard time and they're just like nothing you're just like no it's like the worst time please like remember what it was like with kids and then the cancer and we actually had, um, so Dave's brother, whose practice he's joining, is um, an ophthalmologist. And one of his friends, you know, I think like his mom had cancer when he was in residency, or his wife, somebody. And he sent us a pretty sizable check with like the nicest card that was like, he doesn't know us at all, but just said, like, I just feel for you guys. He's somebody that really can empathize. So it was, and still is, a hard time. But there is a sense that even the hardest moments are temporary. And they've proven that even when they're derailed, they've never let their wheels grind to a halt. They've just kept going on this new stretch of track. They still see that other path, and they still hope to get back on it. The one with more help, the one with less time away from home, the one with the possibility of putting down roots and spreading more than they've been able to do in New York City. Grace has other plans as well, other hopes that have developed as she went through her cancer experience and especially as she has confronted the idea that she might not have any more kids. I feel like having kids a little bit later, and maybe this is just me from the outside thinking, I maybe when you're 35, you'll have felt like you've done something, like maybe as a woman, like with your career, and you're like, okay, now I'm like ready to have kids. Whereas I feel like I kind of went opposite, like having kids in the beginning and like living with years of like not knowing, like feeling like, oh, but I feel like I should be doing this or this or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. But now I kind of like feel like, oh, like I've spent a lot of years doing different things. I kind of like want to start working again. And I think that's kind of influencing some of my decisions about having kids too. It's kind of like feeling like I've really put in my time like raising like our girls and we're going to be moving into a different situation where like Dave's going to be making real money and like settling down, like not constantly every year, like moving, you know, we can finally like settle into like a neighborhood. And 
lately I just, I, I think I'm looking for something that's like community and like art, like kind of meets. Um, I've been doing like window displays just for fun, but I'd love to do like public art, like, finding ways to like create art that brings people in the neighborhood together. Mm. You think about like in Fresno, it's like you don't see people outside very often. Like they all just kind of stay in their houses. Like I'd love to be on like random street corners, like making like a cool bench or little garden space that people like meet up at. That same impulse that has her thinking of creating art, of bringing people together, is the same impulse that has helped her get through the awkward physical transitions of cancer treatment. We talked about losing her hair and losing her breasts, about looking and being so sick, but she said those things weren't really a big deal for her. Instead, she focused on what she could do rather than what she looked like. I don't think I worried about it that much. It was kind of such a whirlwind of it like happening. It was like a it was like a funny sad experience. I remember like I just started losing it and then Dave like shaved my head. Like our little girls like running around. She's just like, oh, no hair, you know? I think it's just hard when you look in, like I think you forget as a mom even what you look like. Like even now I'm like, I don't even know like, what's happened today. You know, you forget like what clothes you're wearing and everything. But it's just hard when you like look in the mirror and you can just tell like, oh, I just like look sick, you know? Like my eyebrows were getting thin. Like my face was like puffy from like steroids. But I do remember like saying to Dave, like, I just don't feel like a girl at all. Like I had no hair, like no eyebrows. And then I felt like, like kind of like a robot, like you imagine like a Barbie, you know, <laughs> just like have these like really fake, super hard. Like now my implants are like a little softer, but like I'd hug people and be like, oh my gosh, like so embarrassed. Cause they're like really hard. And so you're just like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah. So yeah, you just, so you don't really feel like a, like yourself. You feel really like unnatural and I, I don't know, I, like I wonder, like I don't know what my mom did as a kid to like build my self-esteem, but like somehow like I guess I just like, like I value what I look like, but I like value so much more, I guess, who I am as a person and what I'm doing that like, even though it's like really hard to like not feel like myself, like I just still felt like I was doing good things and trying really hard. I just, I don't know. I, I still like felt good about myself, which is not crazy. I don't know, I looked so crazy. Maybe she looked crazy. Maybe their life was derailed. Maybe it was hard and lonely. But Grace radiates sunshine. And even in the midst of the hardest time, she found moments worth holding on to. Spending more time with Dave while sitting in waiting rooms. Having so many family members and friends come to take care of them and their daughters. Dave being able to take Alta to school, which he would never have been able to do with his normal work schedule. Even in the darkest, loneliest moments, in the depths of the effects of chemotherapy, Grace found the good. No, I think there's a, like actually a lot of good things that we take away from the experience. Yeah, just like a lot of like memories, like distinct memories. I was like thinking of one the other day of like a really hard day after chemo, and like I think my parents had taken the girls to Baltimore to see my brother, or, or maybe they just they were at somebody's house. I don't know where they were, and I remember it was like a crazy storm outside. It's like epic like wind, like rainstorm, and I was in such a terrible mood, just so upset. And looking out at the storm, I was like, this is like like visual of like how I'm feeling. Like this storm is like me. Like I don't know, just it's like really cool that you have time to like sit there and just reflect and stuff. I don't know.
it's like this weird time. You spend so much time just sitting there watching TV and then you get sick of that. So then you just like sit there and stare at the wall. It's really weird. I actually found that um, after doing chemo, it shakes up your head a lot. So it's like hard to have conversations with people. Like your brain and your mouth don't connect as well. And it's like easier to hang out with like little kids than it is to hang out with adults because they have more like simple conversation. And maybe there is something there in that idea. Going back to basics, simplifying your thoughts and ideas. Your life has been derailed, so what do you do? You stare at the wall and you look out the window and you find something familiar and someone to talk to. You see where you are and you say, I'm glad it won't be like this forever, but I'm also glad I get to spend this time with you. You may not recognize yourself in the mirror, but you do recognize that you are still you. A wife, a mother, an artist, a friend, and that won't change. And then you pick yourself up and keep moving. Thanks to Grace and Dave for sharing your story with us. You made the trip to the Bronx well worth it. If you want to know more about Grace's cancer treatment, specifically how they manage cancer and kids, check out Grace's blog, gracia.me. We have a link to it, plus images of some of Grace's artwork on our website. You can also check out Grace's artwork on her new portfolio site, gracepolson.com. Thanks to Ben and Tyson and Ellen and Ryan and Micah, who has never sweated a day in his life. And thanks to all of the rest of you for listening. Check us out on iTunes. Join us on Facebook. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Leave us a note. Leave us a comment. Share your story. All of that, you guys. Just do it. Just Just do do it it already. (laughs) I'm still listening to this. What are you waiting for? (laughs) 